Hello and welcome to The Ravens, a movie and TV show podcast. Tonight, Dom and I are thrilled, honoured to be joined by movie directing legend, Brian Levant. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We, this is a, like a boyhood dream. You literally coloured our childhood with movies that, that we love and are still beloved. Thank you so much and how are you doing? Uh, it's a pleasure to, uh, to join you guys today. I, I'm just glad to hear you talking about anything besides One Tree Hill. Uh, <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, how much do you guys love One Tree Hill? <laughs> a lot, a lot. Well, I mean, yeah. With, our, with yeah. our One Tree Hill podcast, I've never seen it. And Simon You've has seen it a few it. times. So I, I'm watching every episode week by week, and then we talk about it. So I'm I'm new to the show, so I'm I'm the newbie, and Simon's the expert. I see. Okay. And what do you think of it so far? <laughs> some good, some not so good. So I yeah, it's it's good. Well, it's that's good. the way it is with a lot a lot of TV. Definitely. Uh, but uh, uh, no, I'm 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 glad to see people. So many people have such tremendous interest in the media that they feel necessary to 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 talk about them and and, and express their passion. Um, I think I think it's terrific. I think uh, all of all all the ones uh, that I talk to should also you know take advantage to look a little deeper into film history, into television history, and 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 really be able to put the things that they know in perspective by what what is the gold standard of of the 20s the 30s the 40s the 50s the 60s uh, <laughs> you know the world pre power rangers uh, <laughs> well i think that's kind of i mean that is in in a nutshell how dom and i feel like we are so passionate about movies uh, and tv shows that we just genuinely enjoy talking about it with like-minded people and as we can see from your background and as we know with your new book which we'll we can't wait to talk with you about and you can probably see from my background as well is we love to get all of the intricacies of what comes along with uh with the movies and one of you know, one of your sort of shining examples of legacies is Jingle All the Way and the like the Turbo Man doll. So I can even show you I have on the wall there. Where is he? There he is. Uh-huh. That looks like the uh, Funko version, huh? That is exactly what that is. Um, which is amazing yeah. with the fact that you you know, had a part to play in a in a toy that has is living on, you know, now. Well it it the the entire experience has been has been uh <laughs> the past 26 and a half years that jingle all the way has been a part of my life have have, have has been an, an incredible ride because we started with such high hopes and i being a massive toy and pop culture collector that when i opened up the script that I knew nothing about, uh, and and the first page was a montage of the manufacturer of the Turbo Man figure, and as oh my God, this is great! Right away, right away, I envisioned a shelf 
filled with Turbo Man toys <laughs> in my office. And indeed, and indeed, I have that shelf, and it's pretty damn crowded to, today. <laughs> but, you know, the thought that we get to design an entire toy line, and then with the promise that it would become a real toy line, and the premise of the movie being the hunt for the hottest Christmas toy, uh, being, you know, being a, 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 about toy collecting, basically, uh, you know, how do you not get involved? How do you not see a, a, a great challenge? And then, then looking beyond just the creation of the toy line that we would do and the opportunities involved in that, of staging this massive parade of creating a real life sort of superhero uh, uh, moment for for a family. Um, it was fun. It was challenging. It it, it 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 captured my imagination. And when uh, Arnold was cast as Howard Langston, uh, all of a sudden this became kind of a big league A list holiday tentpole release. For, for 20th Century Fox. And, uh, and, and we made the movie on, on, I believe, a very unfair schedule, both in pre-production uh, and post-production. Production, we did, we did just fine. We had 84 shooting days. Probably 50 of them had some element of a second unit, either in preparation or filming. Uh, you know, just, just the challenges of of in those days, and there are very few proportionately uh, CGI shots in Jingle All the Way. Uh, most of it is, you know, a lot of wire removal and things. But uh, we had Bob Harmon, the man who made Christopher Reeve fly in the Superman movies, and so for the parade sequence, we had you know two hundred foot cranes. Uh, parked on either end of the back lot of Universal. And then, you know, then Turbo Man would be hung from wires from a motorized traveler that went on wires in between them. I, 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 and, and we built a camera car uh, with, 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 a, uh, with a, a hydraulic arm that the Turbo Man could, could lay on, and we shot all the flying close-ups. Uh, that way, or most many of them, uh, and you know, it was uh, it was a very challenging, and we had animatronics. <laughs> you know, the, the reindeer is, is so we had live animals, animatronic animals. We, we had we had a lot of CGI work. We had a lot of flight work. We had massive crowd scenes, and so it, it was it was difficult, but we had a good time, and Arnold was always fun. Uh, you know, people I've observed who spend their lives as, as he did for many, many years, and people like Jackie Chan, they go from project to project and they bring their group with them, and uh, and that's kind of their life. I heard it expressed once uh, uh, by a writer about about Clint Eastwood and Ron Howard, uh, and it's kind of true of people like that that. Uh, they're like the the sailors of yore, who who would come to shore now and then, but lived on the sea. 
and and the C in this case is 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 movie sets and companies and locations, um, and and we had a very compressed post production, and we didn't have a terribly effective VFX house. Uh, it was a company that Fox had acquired when they when they took on um, Blue Sky, and they wanted to test them, and I don't think they passed the test. Uh, <laughs> and then we came out with a, a modest amount of hoopla, the Turbo Man toy from Tiger Toys, which we couldn't shoot the opening because we didn't have time. Who knew it took six months to get a toy into production? Meaning we, by the time, by the time we, we were ready to come out, uh, we would have had to wait to make the toy to shoot it. So, <laughs> so, so that never happened. And, we, and so we did the opening of the show instead. Anyways... <laughs> Anyways, the film was uh, met uh, with back, back, back bricks by every critic in the world. Uh, just was ready to jump down Arnold's throat and, and mine. <laughs> and and uh, uh, it, it was uh, it was shocking and uh, difficult to accept uh, that the public uh, just didn't embrace it as they did the films that opened on either side of it. The first one was Space Jam. And the one right after us was uh, Disney's 101 Dalmatians, the first live action adaptation that they did. And I'll always say that, you know, Fox, who started this movie like in March of 96, uh, did not have the marketing campaign in place that Disney and Warner Brothers had spent years working on. And and th despite the fact that we had a big star and got good theaters and everything else, um, Space Jam was everywhere and, and, and on its heels, um, Dalmatians uh, uh, came out of the box very strong. So there just wasn't, there just wasn't the room at the box office still. So people like yourself or you guys might be a little young to see it. Did you see it in the theaters? No, no, no. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> yeah, well, only $61 million worth of people saw it overseas <laughs> and in America, which uh, I think, you know, in their mi minds covered Arnold's salary. So, <laughs> um, and, and, an amazing thing happened that the film over the years has acquired a very, very large, loyal audience through repeated family viewings, which have in turn spurred a, a greater uh, reckoning critically uh, and, and has the, the film's reputation has soared truly uh you know i never expected after our terrible launch that 20 years later i would be seeing you know holiday marathons mm -hmm. uh, and, and and annual screenings on, on 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 network and and that i would be asked to speak at the american cinematheque I think that was uh, the third time <laughs> that they they showed they showed the film, uh, and and just as the film has been revised, the original Turbo Man, which was in March after Christmas, 
was marked down substantially on Walmart shelves, uh, is now a major collector's item and one in, in a box in good condition will get you 850 bucks if you find the, the right buyer. And uh, not counting shipping. And last year for the 25th anniversary, all our dreams did come true because Funko, currently the largest collector's producer uh, in, in the world, I believe, uh, re-released an exact duplicate of the 14-inch Talking Turbo Man from Tiger Toys as a Walmart exclusive <laughs> and and followed that up with a full set of Funko Pops. Uh, uh, very clever, well done, uh, jingle all the way uh, Pops. And and for a while there in the fall of, of <laughs> last year, after 25 years, Turbo Man was indeed the hottest selling toy in America. It's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So it, it it's it's uh, that's quite a journey to take. Amazing. And, you know, it usually doesn't happen that way. And you know, films of mine that are probably even great greater entertainment value. You know, they're not running marathons. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, uh, uh, no one's no one's coming to me with their family's VHS tapes to sign. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but can I say on that? I think that shows, and this may be like an odd statement to say, but that the film I think is was like ahead of its time in a way, in terms of when Arnold was making the shift away from action and doing his sort of comedy movies, so like Jingle All the Way and Kindergarten Cop and Twins. I don't think they were necessarily well received at the time but as time has gone on i think people appreciate the satire that goes with it and the comedy is uh, uh, sort of aged uh, well twins, twins was a huge hit uh twins was a, a huge hit and uh what's it a kindergarten cop which was which which i don't know how any parent ever allowed their kid to go see the movie because the, the third act is a bloody rampage uh, <laughs> through a school in which kids are in horrible danger uh, uh, the entire time yet yet the trailer you know yet the trailer is all i got the headache maybe it's a tumor it's not a tumor uh, yeah. <laughs> So, so you you don't think about that third act. <laughs> and just remember why why is it, why is he undercover in a in, in an elementary school? You know, uh, but Junior, where uh, he played a scientist who impregnated himself, uh, was uh, was not very successful, nor nor well received, really. And the funny thing about Jingle is, before Arnold, basically. Uh, you know, took a sabbatical to be the governor of California, um, is most of his films at, after Jingle did not perform like like Terminator, like True Lies, uh, like Eraser. Uh, you know, yes, the Batman and Robin movie made money, not as much money as a lot of other Batman movies made. But if you look at uh, the sixth, uh, the sixth day, uh, uh, there's a succession of them in there. That that you know, that perhaps he wasn't pulling his weight as a box office draw. However, however, because he's such a a, a monstrous star, his films have, a, have have had tremendous afterlives. Because when you're a buyer for 
a cable channel, a streamer, a local station, um, the BBC, you're going to want eyeballs and eyeballs go with stars. And so you're going to buy the package that, that has, uh, you know, from, from now Disney, you know, that has Jingle All the Way and Predator <laughs> and, and True Lies, you know. Definitely. Get the whole set. Yeah, so, something that you said uh, a moment ago, Brian, really, sort of, and Simon kind of touched on it a little bit as well, is that the movies that are t- kind of 25 to 30 years old now are having that resurgence. And it feels like that, that resurgence is happening now and is really like maybe over the last five years or so. And those films that were kind of not necessarily ignored, but didn't quite get the, you know, the, the, critics approve or kind of what you would have expected at the box office at the time are now massive successes because I think people like Simon and myself have grown up to an age where we're like, yes, we're going to share this with our family. We're going to share this with our site. You know, Simon's got a little one and so on, you know. And a lot of that has to do with the studios vacating the space that used to be that used to uh, be the kind of films that I made, that John Hughes made, that uh, Robert Zemeckis made, uh, audience, you know, live action comedies uh, for that, that that aren't for that are family for families. That space has been totally co-opted by uh, C- CGI animation. That uh, rather than make three you know, $35 million family movies, uh, uh, you know, Disney isn't even making the kind of movies that mm. they, that they were making. Uh, you know, I, the last one I can remember that they that seemed like a Disney movie was what's his name's terrible, awful day. Uh, you know, they're just not making those, but they Disney uh, animation studios and Pixar are cooking. They're cooking <laughs> and, fe- and feeding the, Eating theme parks and the toy lines and everything else. Um, so, so what? So there, there isn't as much competition. And so, when people start looking as they do now at home for their entertainment and have so many different choices, uh, they're going to maybe go to something that they they know but they don't know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and 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 especially for family audiences that, that they're going to see products that they recognize from their childhoods and, and spoon feed it to, to their kids. And, uh, uh, and, you know, looking for we, those kind of films, a lot of them have very low negatives, you know, uh, uh, you know, in terms of parental controls or taste, you know, so you, so you can, they are accessible to a, to a much, broader audience than, you know, a Herschel Gordon Lewis film, you know, <laughs> or the One Tree Hill audience. <laughs> <laughs> they are now all very well acquainted with you. I I, uh, <laughs> I I would like to, I'd like to tell you a very short memory that hopefully will be complimentary to you, but also is going to tie into the next question. Uh, what, one of my favorite childhood memories is my dad uh, took me to the cinema to go and see the Flintstones movie and it was just i just loved it it was a wonderful day i was right at the right age for it It had the actors in that i already knew and was familiar with and i just loved it and we came out 
we went to McDonald's afterwards and I got the Happy Meal with the toy that went with it. And I remember us talking in the car on the way home and my dad asking me what my favorite scene was and this, that and the other. And I remember it was with, you know, Dino running out of the house and being chucked out of the house. And it was just a wonderful memory. So first, I'd just like to thank you for that. But also, it brings me on to the next question that that's like one of the sort of CGI scenes within the movie uh where you know sort of early ish cgi but also you worked on one of dom's favorite childhood movies of all time beethoven and mine wonderful movie where you're actually working with you know actual animals and things and as dom alluded to a second ago i have a two-year-old now so disney plus is constantly on in our house and watching things (laughs) like the new (laughs) (laughs) well we're we're now i'm now seeing things for the first time like the new iteration of the lion king and the jungle book where it's sort of real life but cgi'd animals and things and as as a as a filmmaker do you miss do you do you think that there's more mystery and allure and more authentic let's say filmmaking you always wished that you could just paint them in uh working with animals and i've done a lot of it and you know i got I, I, I have, we, we have about 800 pounds of dog in our house. We, we have Newfoundlands. Uh, and I got one sleeping under my desk, so I can't put my legs down. <laughs> Another one on the couch here. They're, they're sleeping. Um, but, you know, I, I always enjoyed working with animals uh, because I always – get along with them so well, and I understand what they're really capable of doing in a production. And you wish they could do a million things, but basically I can get them from point A to point B within a shot, and and, and that's about it. And the rest, you have to be very clever with, with your editing and stuff. And I want to do what I wanted it to do, or a puppy even. Uh, I've somehow been able to, to to get them to perform, to get them riled up to do what I want, to make a, the sound that makes them turn their head the way I, I, I want it to turn. Um, you know, and, but, you know, at the same time, uh, in Beethoven, you don't even probably notice, but uh, there's an animatronic Beethoven head that we use for about four shots. And it's actually probably probably uh, two shots repeated and blown up <laughs> where he gets big eyes or something. And, 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 um, and you know, they had different dogs. And, and mind you, I was not the original director of Beethoven. I was brought in at, at the last second. Uh, <laughs> and so I had no prep, didn't, didn't know anybody on the crew's name except for Ivan Reitman, who was producing. And I met him on Wednesday. I met Charles Grodin on Thursday. And Monday, we started shooting. (laughs) Um, And so it was all uh, a seat of my pants. And luckily, uh, Ivan's uh, people, particularly Michael Chinich, did a brilliant job of casting the film. Great, great cast. You look 
edit, uh, you know, Charles Grodin, Bonnie Hunt's first film, David Duchovny, Patricia Heaton from Everybody Loves Raymond, Oliver Platt, Stanley Tucci, the great Dean Jones talking about, you know, Disney films uh, of yore, uh, that he was the star of most of their uh, big hits in, in the 60s. Um, and and uh, Carl Miller, the animal trainer, uh, uh, he was, uh, you know, he was a big animal trainer. And and I didn't like him at all. <laughs> the, the first day, you know, he's showing me what he's trained this poor St. Bernard to do. And he's having him walk backwards on a two by 10 plank. And he looks at me like, well, and I, I don't want him to do any, anything like that. I want him to steal food uh, off the counter and, and drink out of the toilet and make a mess of the house. And that's what we did. <laughs> You know, I did do things, you know, like, like, please don't give him any water for an hour. And then we're going to put a camera underneath a fish bowl <laughs> and, and bring him right to it. Uh, right. And no, he'll be thirsty. So he'll drink out of the fish bowl. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the extent of my crow. But this guy, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't like his methods. And, and, and at the end of, of the shoot, uh, I, I had to be restrained when I caught him uh, uh, putting his thumbs in the dog's eyes. Jesus. Uh, yeah. 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 So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I rarely got along well with the trainers. Uh, 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 that's not true. And the snow dogs, uh, the, the people were terrific. Uh, I didn't like the way dogs were treated. Uh, uh, snow dogs, uh, you know, I did a ride dogs. Uh, people just have too many. They have 80 dogs. They're not pets. They're working animals. They're, 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 they don't get love. Uh, uh, you know, I, did, I didn't like that aspect of it, although I brought one home who'd never been in a house, and he quickly adapted to sleeping on the couch all day and stealing <laughs> dog toys and burying them. Uh, <laughs> um so, so once again, yes, it, it's like Spider-Man was, uh, you know, uh, Spider-Man, almost everything he does is CGI. It, it, so it's kind of lost my ability to be credible. I think when you watch Snow Dogs, uh, which had some animatronics in selected shots, so particularly to, for, you know, you know, snarling and, and, and biting and things like that where we don't want to put a human <laughs> with, with them. Um, what was I saying? That, that um, you, you have a feeling that it's real. You, you, you know, it, it, when, when, when you would see the original Rin Tin Tin, and the original Rin Tin Tin was a great athlete, German shepherd. Uh, the guy found him as a pup in, in France at the end of World War One brought him home and made him a movie star. Uh, and, and when you saw Rin Tin Tin leap 15 feet over the camera, you know, across a gully uh, or, or do some incredible feat to save his master, it was credible. <laughs> you know, you, you know, today you're never sure. Totally. <laughs> you know, but even, you know, you mentioned Dino. And so the Flintstones, as you said, it was early CGI. 
um, there were only 53 CGI shots in the movie. And the Henson Creature Shop of London, the most creative and wonderful place I've ever uh, been associated with, uh, I did four films with, with them, but uh, only only the first one, uh, well, actually, actually, only one was in L.A. The others were, were uh, the old shop in a, in a giant old factory uh, in Camden on Oval Road mm-hmm. outside London. Um, and... Uh, uh, they made 22 animatronic creatures and, and, and puppets. And so very, unless you saw something full size and in movement, it undoubtedly was an animatronic, but it's, you know, but we, we had to make it credible and I'd never seen a dinosaur CGI. All I'd seen was, you know, like T2, you know, <laughs> and, and the underwater one. And so, you know, I'm trying to make lovable creatures. Uh, I don't know how that works. And and Spielberg was working on Jurassic Park, uh, which came out uh, a year before Flintstones. And I said to him, hey, Stephen, um, do you think I might get a look at, at, at some of those dinosaur shots? He goes, absolutely. You can see them on June 8th. I said, oh, thanks. <laughs> and then I read June 8th was the opening day. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, so, you know, I, 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 I think we've lost uh, a little credibility here and there, even the superhero movies, you know, it is, you know, you watch the finale of Aquaman where there's 400 people battling underwater and (laughs) say, well, maybe three of them are real (laughs) and they're just hanging on wires, you know, I, I, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, uh, one of the things that first entranced me was the original Flash Gordon serials made in, in 1937 and 38 and 39 and Buck Rogers with Buster Crabbe, the American Olympic swimmer, as, as the star of Alex Raymond's comic strip. And, you know, you didn't care that the rocket ships were hung from wires or that the court of Ming was just polished floors and curtains. It was, you know, they, they had monsters and, and creatures and the Hawkmen and the clay people and the octopoid floating cities that had costumes so scantily that, uh, that they got uh, censured from, from the, the Hayes office, the censors. Uh, and, and it was just, it, it, but there was, except for the lizards, that they would, uh, that they would blue screen or black screen in those days. Uh, uh, as, and put put fins on them to make them giant dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, it was all it was it was you know it was incredible. It was human, and uh, and it was and it was so exciting. And I don't when I watch when I watch Doctor Strange uh, today or 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 the most recent Spider Man stuff. I. I, I just know I'm looking at a cartoon and it takes something away. But obviously, I'm in the minority. <laughs> not not on this podcast because we say this constantly <laughs> that it is like watching a cartoon. And I think partly it's also the era that Dom and I grew up in through the 90s. It was everything was like animatronics or early CGI. Well, like you said with Jurassic Park, it's got that beautiful blend of, well, apart from suspense yeah. that's been well, slowly built up. Yes, yes, exactly. But, you know, um, 
they, 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 it was just too expensive and time consuming to do it all CGI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at the new ones, you know, right. I, yeah. I, I saw, I saw some animatronics in the new one. Uh, so I don't think they've totally, but I think the, the ratio is completely skewed on that now. <laughs> But do you think that's also maybe that the audiences now are less patient to be able to have that suspense and build up for these big action movies? Like they have to just get into the like Hulk has to destroy a city immediately because otherwise you got to wait for the third act for that. Uh, (laughs) I, I have to say I'm getting bored with movies that end with, you know, people throwing each other into buildings and crumbling and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the worst offender on that was probably um, Suicide Squad 2. <laughs> <laughs> because what we don't see anymore is is the something that I think you uh, capture incredibly well in, in, in your movies. So like Beethoven in particular, Jingle All The Way as well, and like, obviously many others, but is that element of chaos there's one parent that's usually a bit you know forgotten something a bit useless there's an element of like panic but they pull it together at the end but there's that um that kind of element of danger that is thrown in like um in jingle all the way where the 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 police officer has the post bomb you know the mail bomb and it goes off there's there's that element of like you know, I doubt we ridiculousness would have been able to do it. that today. Yeah, exactly. And like this, <laughs> this day and age, that would have had to have been a, a cartoon. Like that would have had to have been Pixar because it would have been, you know, the the yeah, kind no, of bizarre. Well, uh, you, know. you know, well, yes, I, I don't think they we'd get away with it today. And as it were, um, Chris Columbus, our producer, asked us to reshoot that because we went too far with, oh. with Robert Conrad, and, and you know, like we. Had, I mean, literally, we took it from a Looney Tunes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the, what do you want him to look like? I said, well, Elmer Fudd when he opens up a <laughs> surprise package, you know. <laughs> yeah, that that element of like chaos in live action, I think, is gone unless you're in a superhero movie and you can fly yeah. and you can, well, you know, throw someone uh, 500 feet in the air, you know. Yeah, well, com- comedy's changed. It's, you know... Uh, there's less of it. It's more sophisticated. It's more verbal. Um, you know that that uh, and, and because they're not making the family comedies, which tended always to be uh, bigger, more physical, broader humor. Uh, you know, um, and by not having those, you, you know, you're missing you're. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's a whole genre that that is withering on the vine here. <laughs> uh, uh. Well, to to speak on that, so we mentioned just before we started recording, one of my all time favorite childhood movies, like it has such a special place in my heart, is Little Giants. And we've actually okay. been lucky enough that we ha- we've had quite a f- we've had three of the cast members on. Really? Uh, who who have you had? We had Shauna Waldron, who played Icebox. Yes. yes. Uh, we had. Todd Bosley, who played Jake, yes, and then yes, we yes, Marcus yes. Toji, who played, I think his character was Marcus as well, um, on, and they were Marcus, wonderful. Yes, Marcus is also as a, as a, a shot and jingle all the way. He told us that, yeah, <laughs> which was, and that's, that's wonderful that you remember that as well, um, because I'm well, sure there was I, I, I really like those kids. Again, I was not the original director 
of Little Giants. I'll tell you the whole story. I rarely yes. tell it because you yes. know my name's not on the movie, and 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 if people know, that's fine. But uh, after the premiere, the royal premiere uh, uh, for the Prince's Trust for of the Flintstones in London, where uh, you know I hung out with the uh, now King Charles. <laughs> that <laughs> that's is crazy. Just, Prince Charles uh, and 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 wearing wearing kind of a worn out tuxedo with a lot of dandruff. I hate, hate to say that. Uh, <laughs> that's royal dandruff, though. Yeah, he's royal. It certainly is. Uh, and, and and my daughter presented him with the program. Uh, she was eight years old, and you know you get schooled on these things. Um, <laughs> you know you don't speak until he speaks. And, and she's standing there and he doesn't say anything. And she goes, you're supposed to talk to me first. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, and then he's, uh, uh, my sons are with my, my, my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. I know about divorce. Uh, would they like the film? Yes, very much. Please take them. And I, and I thought it was good at, at recruiting. Uh, anyways. So at, following the premiere and an incredible party, um, uh, I took my family for our first vacation in like four years uh, to an island in the Caribbean, and I walked in the door, <laughs> and the phone was ringing, and it was Mr. Spielberg calling, and um, it seemed that uh, they were on day 54 of 52 shooting Little Giants with his hand-picked director, who, who George Lucas lobbied him to hire, who was... Uh, who was his editor? He thought he uh, and and so uh, so they're making a kids football movie. The director does not know how to play football. American football, we're talking about. All right, and 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 you know you would think that anybody you know would have would have a familiarity the same as you would. You know that the, the the world was watching the World Cup. You know you'd have to, you know not to understand how the game you know looks like. You know, and so neither did his first AD that he hired. Neither did the line producer they hired. <laughs> Stephen bless his heart, <laughs> no knows zero, never understood football. <laughs> so. <laughs> They, Janusz Kaminski, the Oscar-winning director of photography, uh, who is of Polish descent and from Chicago, knows knew nothing about foot. His, him and his crew would play soccer, your, your football, during lunch <laughs> every day on the field. Uh, so, so it's no wonder, even with with a great second unit director of photography. And, and and Mickey Moore, who was a legendary stunt coordinator, who knew sport, who was you know, who was surfing in his nineties, a great athlete, knew knew the game. But you know, if somebody doesn't tell you what they need, how are you going to shoot anything? So, so I get the call. I'm sure others turned down this wonderful opportunity before I. <laughs> and so I begged for an extra three days with my family. He wanted to send the Warner Brothers jet to come pick me up. Okay. Just give me three days, I'll fly back. Um, and so jet lagged, I walked out on, on, I had everybody in the stands and, and I said, uh, uh, I, 
we we have not only was it day fifty four of fifty two, they had shot they had shot uh, forty pages of one hundred and ten. Wow! <laughs> now, oh, wow! Let, let's 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 look forward a little bit here, and let's look to that. This was this was mid August, and the film was to be released on October eighth. There was no play with that because they'd made a happy meal deal with McDonald's. Oh my God. <laughs> so everything had to come out. So, <laughs> so I went to work and shot 70 pages in 23 days. And I loved those kids. We had, I had great fun playing football every day, you know, uh, being with all these kids and, and I was able to energize a stagnant, uh, uh, dead company. I was able to motivate these kids to give great performances and we played good football. It shot well, mm. shot beautifully. <laughs> and, 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 uh, my kids hung out <laughs> all the time on set and, and loved it and loved being with all those kids. And, uh, the parents, uh, the parents, uh, you know, they, 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 they were right to be angry about this. They, 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 their kids had no summer whatsoever that they were promised. Uh, and, and, you know, they made nice money and, and, you know, the parents were appeased in every way possible, but the, they were, they were, a lot of them were traumatized by, by the experience before, because there was a director who never told them what he wanted. He never said a word. He just hoped that by endless repetition, they would fall into something he wanted. Uh, and that isn't the way you, you tell kids what you want, and then they're happy to achieve it, and you reward them for it. And, and, and you know, I worked with kids for years doing uh, the television adaptation of the Bad News Bears series uh, for two seasons, and, and then I did uh, five years of my leave it to beaver revival and uh you know and i'm very happy to say that those kids all graduated from prestigious universities <laughs> and, and no one died of a drug overdose <laughs> and and many of the kids who were with us over the years became big star christina applegate and, and uh, vani rabisi did like 12 episodes um uh, uh What's his name? Oh, I'll think of him later. Anyways, uh, and and it was a great experience and a fun way to you know spend the rest of my summer. Uh, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, the film did nothing at the box office. And uh, and I and and I know I know that people uh, still watch it. And it like the Sandlot is a great picture for for. Uh, kids who, who like sports, kids who like uh, stories about young people uh, and, and, and young people building friendships, you know, between sexes, between different kinds of kids. And, you know, I'm a big believer in, in American football because I, I think it, you know, when you play it young, it teaches you to work as a team, to get along well with different kinds of people. And, and and to learn how to follow a system, which is very much uh, what a movie company 
needs to do to be successful. And a, a good director is a good quarterback and a good team player. And, you know, yes, you hear about a lot of dictators, but the people are much more successful by and large and have longer careers are, are the ones who, who know how to build a team, you know, and, and, and instill loyalty and effort. What? It's an amazing film. I've, I must honestly, I reckon I've seen it over thirty times, if not more. Like through childhood, well, I've seen it at least three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got you ten times over. Well, I, to, to segue into to, to your to your book and and to the toys Please. and everything, did um like when did you collect things from your projects from your movies? Like as in like so toy collecting and sort of well, memorabilia well, prop collecting. Okay, so my book. Uh, uh, my life and toys it is a supersized uh, uh, coffee table book uh, of my collections. Uh, there are over 1,100 color original photographs by uh, my brother-in-law, Joe Pellegrini, who just who I was very lucky that he's one of the top commercial photographers in the United States, and um, and we spent years. Uh, working, you know, whenever we could, and we're, we're in the same state, uh, photographing, you know, we took over 7,000 photos of my toys Wow! <laughs> uh, over a period of, of nine years. Um, and, and my collecting began, I was, when I was a kid, I was, I, I collected comics. I collected some sports cards. There were, I wasn't a toy collector. There were toys that I had to have. And almost always they were an offshoot of, of, uh, animated TV shows, uh, of, of the 1950s and, and, and uh, and kids shows like, uh, Howdy Doody, which was, a the, the first May, the first television, kids television show. Uh, in the United States and, you know, starting when there were 20,000 sets in the country and ending when, when there were 190 million. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I remember I came home from overnight camp in, uh, what year was it? Like 1967 to find that my mother had thrown out my comic book collection uh, and, and our father. And I was very upset about the comic book collection. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I really didn't start uh, collecting, fully collecting, becoming a collector as someone who grabbed something now and then. Uh, when my now wife, then girlfriend, uh, we're going back almost 50 years, uh, moved in, she brought a pair of salt and pepper shakers from the collection of Andy Warhol. Um, that were a part of Warhol's collection. And we said, hey, that's cool. We had nothing to do. We'd go to flea markets and stuff, and there were always cool salt and pepper shakers, an infinite variety. They were always dirt cheap, you know, for 50 cents. You'd get a, a, an interesting pair of salt and pepper shakers. And pretty soon we had hundreds, and it spread into a lot of the salt and pepper shakers were advertising figures, Mr. Peanut uh, and, and many, many others. And so we started collecting advertising figures, which led back to collecting the, the memorabilia 
from the cartoons and t- TV shows of my child, the way the way somebody your age collects Masters of the Universe <laughs> mm-hmm. stuff and, and Power Rangers, um, yeah. and and you know uh, the collection grew and grew, and I learned more about it and became more focused. and And an amazing thing happened that virtually every project that I was involved with. You know, I when I was 23, I started on Happy Days, with, and, and, and uh, the first year it was the number one series in America. And I had no idea the first time I, I walked into a writer's meeting there as a 23-year-old rookie that I would spend uh, the next eight years on and off working on the show. And But the show had... 20,000 licensed products, action figures, games, lunch boxes, uh, uh, garage kits, cars, models, endless shampoo, uh, pinball machines, uh, uh, books. Not only Happy Days, you did Mork and Mindy as well. Yes, which which had a flurry of merchandising. I remember uh, uh, Robin Williams first appeared in the fifth season of Happy Days is an episode inspired by Gary Marshall's eight-year-old son, who was a Star Wars fan, said, you ought to put a spaceman on happy days. And literally, we drew uh, the short straw, had to write the episode. (laughs) And the writer said, well, I'll do it, but it'll be painful. (laughs) And he retired not long thereafter. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, Robin was the third actor that was hired uh, to quit before him. And uh, the Happy Days cast and our director, Jerry Paris, uh, who was, uh, you know, a key contributor, actor and director on the Dick Van Dyke show, recognized this incredible talent and did something that no other cast in television would have ever done. And that was to literally stand back and give him the stage and let him just go and go and create. And uh, everybody was stunned when we saw the first run through. I mean, everybody walked away saying, spin off, spin off, spin off from an episode that nobody wanted anything to do with it. actors, agents, you know, and certainly not the writers. <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and but but see this, but this started a trend that everything I worked on had toys, so I collected the toys and 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 the memorabilia that was just lying around. You know, I wrote an episode of Happy Days. Uh, I wanted to do uh, the second one I did the the first my first year on staff. I wanted to tell the story that I didn't know the answer to was. How did Richie and Fonzie meet? And and so I titled it Our Gang. And basically, it's Richie uh, as a freshman going to Arnold's, bumping into Fonzie, and uh, ended up somehow in a uh, in a rumble between the two of them. And Richie turning Fonzie and getting him to leave the gang and start his life as an individual. Um, and. So Fonzie was a member of the gang that had been established called the Falcons. And so so the Falcons had these black and gold jackets. And at the end of the season, I begged 
to keep one of them, and they gave me one, and I wore it literally till till the pockets wore out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and about ten twelve years ago, Figures Toy Company does this this Happy Days line, and they do a couple special ones. Fonzie and uh, his coveralls. Fonzie and his original. Uh, the network originally didn't want him in a leather jacket, so he had like a. You know, I don't know, <laughs> like a poplin, just a zip-up powder blue thing, uh, Adam and that. And then they had one with Fonzie in the Falcons jacket from, from the episode I wrote. Uh, That's and, awesome. And that Excellent. has never happened since. And so, <laughs> and so from there, I, I in order to, to pepper my collections, it seems like I, I literally sought out things with massive amounts of merchandise. <laughs> And, and, and you know, and, and 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 then my collecting expanded, you know, well beyond those, and a tremendous amount of animation stuff, particularly Popeye, you know, who started in the comic strips in, in 1927, 1928, and is still still highly recognizable. I mean, you know, I'm sure he's got like a 95 percent awareness, which. I, I don't know, other, you know, other than like the Flintstones, Scooby-Doo's, uh, who has that kind of recognition for, uh, uh, worldwide? It, it's, it's kind of amazing, the reach. Um, and so many board games, so many, so many hand puppets, character watches, uh, uh, <laughs> things that have nothing to do with like the Munsters and the Adams family and, and uh, a lot of kids shows, you know, right up through Pee Wee Herman and, and, uh, and, and, and the more contemporary stuff uh, and all the way back to Howdy Doody. And uh, something I collect that I never expected to collect is Hulk Hogan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason was uh, I, I was tired of buying things that cost more than my car payment. <laughs> <laughs> and and I said, well, for Hulk, I can for ten bucks, I can get a million of these. They're closing them out at, at certain toy stores. Buy it in quantity. And and I love when you when I put all the characters together, like my super. I have hundreds hundreds of Superman, not in the box, just flying <laughs> when appropriate, and, and and stacked, and it's just this wave of red and blue and yellow. And, the, and with Hulk Hogan, you get the, the bright yellows and reds and oranges. Uh, and, and then he became Hollywood Hulk Hogan and doubled my collection. Uh, <laughs> and so all these things are, are represented, uh, in the book with so many, so many different things from tiny things, uh, that I collect to, to giant advertising things. Uh, you know, six foot Coke bottles and life size Colonel Sanders and, and a, 29-foot porcelain uh, loaf of Wonder Bread. <laughs> People <laughs> invented sliced bread in the 20s. Uh, that used to be on, uh, on top of the factory in Detroit, Michigan, and now hangs uh, in my backyard. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Excellent. And, and this is all, and it, you know, collecting is about passion. It's about declaring your, your interests and your individuality. And uh, I've really tried to do that in this, and uh, and and the pho photography. I it, it's not mine, so I I can be honest and say it's just uh, 
it's gorgeous and um the close-ups are, are, are the the detail is stunning and all these toys have stories and i'm not a collector who necessarily buys for condition or in the box i see all yours are in the box huh all yeah right. i'm that guy yeah, yeah. he doesn't it, uh, you it, don't get doesn't... to look at them he doesn't you know, play with them. Room for any of them. He doesn't anyway. play with them. <laughs> but but I I like to get things. Uh, I, I I like something nice in the box or the beautiful old box as much as the next guy. But I'm just as happy to find something and buy it that was cherished, loved, used. <laughs> yeah. Not in mint condition, but because somebody had it for 50 years <laughs> yeah and no, i get that i'm with that as well i guess uh well I, I wanted to ask this so i i actually into prop collecting so like some of these things behind me these are like actual jerseys from like the mighty ducks movies and things that i like i enjoy like the hunt of trying to find these things um as somebody that has worked on so many amazing projects do you have props that you've kept from some of your movies in your um, collection well i the Yes. Like I said, I did bring a, a dog home from Snow Dogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I kept a turbo ring. And I have the 24-inch parade-used turbo man uh, that's, you know, so much more beautiful and detailed than than the 14-inch. Uh, um, I, uh, I, I also, uh, when I finished Little Giants, I said, do you want anything from the movie? And I said, yeah, I'll take the go-kart. No way. <laughs> uh, with the stipulation that I could never sell it. Uh, and, uh, and and we had just moved into uh, our new house that had this dirt road around it. So we ran that thing into the ground. Uh, and the first day we moved in, one of the first things we did was go roaring around <laughs> in the go-kart. And had the neighbors hated us instantly and still do. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that's a great one to have yeah no uh it, you know i i i, I grabbed a, a a jersey one of ice cubes uh jerseys from are we there yet and uh i i, I could have taken a lot more i i i i never and i did take you know a couple of uh figures in the box from jingle but i never wanted to be that guy who's like, hey, give it to me. Hey, 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 we used a computer in this scene. Uh, I'll take that. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't yeah. want to be that person. And mm -hmm. I, you know, a couple of little things. I, I uh, The maquettes from the Hensons, uh, they, they gifted to me. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I never wanted to be, you know, as they're closing out, say, hey, 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 make a box for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. That's good. I was, I'm probably stupid. I could have made a lot of money on jingle <laughs> stuff. <laughs> no, I think it's because you're passionate about it. It's different. You know, it's not like you don't want these fit. You wouldn't have wanted uh, those things for oh, monetary there, value. There no, no. I, I never do any of this for monetary gain. Certainly not the book that I spent years and years. <laughs> Where you'll never recoup what it costs to, to do everything or the toys I decided to buy <laughs> in right. order to make the book better along the way. <laughs> well, so, talk, so with, with regards to the book, so My Life and Toys, it's available on Amazon. So we'll put the link in the show notes so Wonderful. that everybody and, can And get. wherever books are sold. 
except not at Forbidden Planet where I, uh, in London, where I really was hoping it would be sold. And evidently they, they, you know, they don't want to spend that kind of money. They'd rather, they'd rather people just bought comic books, I guess. <laughs> well, that's, and that's, well, that's frustrating because these, I mean, this book is like tailor made for me and you were on, oh, of course. How can I forget? Sorry. Of course, I've got to give a massive shout out and thank you to our friend Theo. So you're on Theo's slime house. Uh, Yes, yes, I, I I did the podcast despite the title. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's wonderful, and it was him that put us on to you in terms of saying that you know you might be open to do this, and uh, so a massive thank you to him. His production value is off the charts in terms of his video. I, I, I was impressed. I was impressed uh, with, with his work, and I just wrote him the other day. I finally got to watch it, and told him so. So I hope I can say the same about your work. <laughs> no pressure, Brian. No pressure we're, we're audio based, but just it will be crystal clear. You'll love it. If I don't get a thank you note or some sort of compliment, I will now technically be heartbroken, but that's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Dead inside. <laughs> I told you about my Flintstones memory, Brian. Please don't break my childhood heart. I, I won't. I won't. But, you know, <laughs> talking about collecting, I mean, the Flintstones, me doing the Flintstones for that many years and was dangerous to my pocketbook. <laughs> uh, I, uh, that is my largest collection by far. It's certainly uh, my most prized because uh, of, of the passion that I felt for this property. I, I mean, come on, imagine being eight years old, watching the premiere of the Flintstones as I did. And now imagine yourself uh, 30, 33 years later and it's yours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it, the, one of the most imaginative uh, pieces of imagination, uh, imaginative of imagination. There's just no describing it. it. It's they, they took, they took so many different elements and fused them together. One of the key ones being, Buster Keaton's uh, film Three Ages, uh, uh, part of which told, uh, made in 1924, which was a, a caveman, uh, a, a love story. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they loved uh, Hanna-Barbera, grew up in the silent era. And, and they insist that Fred and Barney were uh, modeled after Laurel and Hardy. Uh, which I always thought, well, they were a little more like the like Jackie Gleason's The Honeymooners, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to argue with the guys who created it. Um, and and from, and it was so heavily merchandised uh, and early on. And the thing about the early Flintstones merchandising is, you know, it was being made in Korea and Japan where they didn't even get the show, and even if they got pictures, they were black and white. So it's. Far, the toys are far more interpretive. Uh, you know, they just make up the colors of the Flintstones' hair and costumes <laughs> and draw their faces and, and sculpt them any way they want. It's much more like fan art today. And and it, it, it's, uh, and, and so I, I, I was so drawn to Flintstone collecting and being able to have a hand in the design, you know, for the movie, the first movie alone, we made over 6,000 uh, props, 
costumes, wow. <laughs> automobiles, sets. <laughs> and, and remember, everything had, there was nothing that was bought for the Flintstones. When you open up their, the drawer in the kitchen, you had to have knives and forks and spoons right. in there and baby bottle. When you opened up the, the freezer, <laughs> you had to have, you know, dozens of, of products there. When they cracked open a pterodactyl egg, something had mm-hmm. to be inside of it. We had to build the kitchen sinks, the toilets, the shower. It's you know, um, the it, money. it was a tremendous undertaking. Yes. And then to see those things, particularly the vehicles and the sets and the costumes turned into toys. Uh, and, and, and all those toys, strangely enough, found way onto my shelves. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, that's why the, the Flintstones chapter in the book is, 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 I believe it's 60 pages. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're front and center on the cover as well, which is fantastic. And the cover well, yeah, is fantastic. Well, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> I've got, I've got, I have the Blu-ray here and it is the casting as well of the movie is so perfect. I mean, well, everyone wanted to be in the movie and, and, and that was lucky, except really for John Goodman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on always Stephen, uh, Here's how the, the movie started. Um, walking to lunch uh, one day, John Goodman says, Stephen stops, looks at him, points and says, you ought to play Fred Flintstone, to which he told me on the set that he thought to himself, yeah, and how'd you like a knuckle sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard to say no to Stephen. And for years, they uh, they tried to get the film off the ground and they were paying John. Uh, for you know to be patient and uh, i'm sure a lot of people turned it down and they never got the script to where they wanted it and uh until by a fluke i got in there and when the writer failed to deliver i stepped in with a bunch of people who had worked with over the years and we wrote a new script in two weeks (laughs) wow and that's what was shot and that's what made uh over $350 million worldwide uh, in 1994, which today is well over a billion dollars. And you have to consider there were half the number of theaters uh, outside Mm. of America as there are today. And the Chinese market wasn't even open. (laughs) Mm. That's insane. So it was was a horribly impressive, uh, one of the highest uh, grossing comedies of all time at that time. Was is it true that was um was Sharon Stone gonna play was the first choice yes, for Hattie uh, Berry's role? Uh, we, I actually someone else wrote that Fred's secretary when he became an executive was named Sharon Stone. Perfect. So let's get Sharon Stone. She passed, <laughs> and we read as I say in the book uh, every actress uh, uh, with above a, a B cup uh, in Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, and, and seriously, Halle went, and I didn't know who to cast and I took all the tapes. That's how long ago this was, um, uh, home with me one weekend. And, and it was really obvious how much different and better Halle Berry was, uh, than anyone else. And, uh, speaking of toys, you know, I told Mattel, I said, you know, Kenner had a lot of problems when they failed to include Samuel a Samuel Jackson figure in the Jurassic Park toys. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should make the same mistake with the Flintstones. And of course they did and did not make a Halle Berry figure. Uh, and and uh, 
and and she was uh, mad about mm-hmm. that, and uh, and and made it very public. And I supported that. It was wrong. It was wrong. Well, she's a great part of the movie. I mean, potentially a bit of an awakening for me as a young as a younger child. And, and I was asked on a couple <laughs> shots. Uh, uh, you know, the president of the studio called me and said, I can't believe I'm asking you to do this, but do you have a shot where she's showing less cleavage when she's crawling <laughs> across the desk at Fred? Uh, 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 and I said, actually, I do. <laughs> he said, please. <laughs> please. A- My children are going to go see this. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, and I mean, look at look at her career. And like right. how well, far you know, she went a, you and know, going. She's got a wonderful career and I think she's finally found happiness. And uh, she she's had a, a rough go of relationships for, for a long time, I guess. And uh, very happy for her. You know, Rosie O'Donnell, uh, a very, who, we've taken a lot of flack over the years for casting Rosie is Betty Rubble. Uh, Rosie, I thought was spectacular. When we first met with her, she knew more about the Flintstones than anybody else on the movie. Uh, a- absolutely, her her imitation of Betty's laugh was was you you could take B. Benedict's uh, lines and, and and put them side by side. You wouldn't you wouldn't know the difference. She was just great. Uh, and, and Rick Moranis uh, didn't like the idea. Of of, uh, of of Rosie, you know, he thought he said to me, if she should be playing anyone in this movie, it should be it would it should be Fred Flintstone. <laughs> but but uh, but once they got on the set, they 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 really worked together well, and they and he really loved working with her and loved her. Um, so you know, uh, it, it it was it was a different piece of casting as was Kyle MacLachlan. You know, you you didn't expect the guy from Blue Velvet to be in there. But in the process, I didn't cast the the two runners-up. Do you care to guess who the two runners-up might have been? For Fred and Barney? No, no, no. For for the villain. Oh, right. Kyle McLaughlin. Vander Cave. (laughs) Dom, you're, you're better at this sort of thing than I am. I have no idea. I couldn't hazard a guess. All right. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Uh, in third place was David Duchovny of the mm-hmm. X-Files and Beethoven. Beethoven, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the runner-up was Christopher Reeve. No way. Wow. And, and and had he been with us that summer, he probably wouldn't have been out riding his horse out east. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> Well, amazing. I, I, we could we could talk to you all day, um, and we definitely. Well, I'll give you another you. two minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that you're a very busy guy, um, but we just uh, implore everyone to go out and well to get online and purchase the book uh, as Dom and I are going to. I can't wait to to look through all of the pictures and your whole journey with it. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for documenting and sharing your collection but thank you so much for talking with us we love all of this behind the scenes stuff and all of uh you know your work it means so much to us and you know all of our listeners the same i'm sure so thank you for your contributions for the book and for your time my pleasure guys take care
Excellent. You too. It's a pleasure, pleasure to meet you. And yeah, um, thank you for the great childhood memories that we have as well of your your films. Hopefully, some adult ones too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>